And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. I'm very, very excited about this episode. Um, I connected with Emily O'Meara a few, I think it was months ago at this point that we scheduled this. Um, she's an expert at helping software developers and companies monetize open source software. And so we're going to talk about that today because it's kind of its own type of business. And there are definitely entrepreneurs and tech entrepreneurs that have made a lot of money in this space. And I'm sure she's going to tell us about it. So she's a consultant that helps people do that. Um, so again, that's uh, Emily O'Meara, Emily O'Meara Consulting. Um, so before we get started, do you want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So I guess before we get started, what the hell is open source? Ooh, uh, that's I, a think good we gotta, I think we got to start at the basics here for those that are listening. What the hell does open source mean? All right. So that's actually a really good question, which incidentally, the, the, the best, the person with the most credentials or the right credentials for asking that is going to be a lawyer because <laughs> fundamentally, it, this is true. I mean, fundamentally, uh, what, whether something is or is not open source is a legal question. It's about what license it's published under. And... Okay. There are a lot of different licenses out there. Um, some are what's called permissive. That's mean it's that you can basically take this software and use it in any way that you want. Uh, some are called copyleft license. Uh, copyleft license are more restrictive. Often it means, for example, that you are welcome. You can see all of the code, uh, but you can't take that code and use it, for example, in your own commercial product. Some people think that copyleft licenses are not real open source. Uh, there's there's controversy about that. Um, but yeah, so fundamentally it comes down to is is this code that's pub publicly available, is it not only inspectable, but can it be altered, reused, and then potentially monetized by somebody other than the person who, who wrote it in the first place? So that's some of the kind of legal aspect of it. But if we step back from that for a second and say, okay, generically speaking, what is open source? Why do people use it? How is it used? Like, how, what would you give like the broader definition to people of like, what, yeah, what does that so mean? If I was going to talk to somebody like at a neighborhood barbecue, like what is open source software? Then I would say, you know, it's, it's code, it's software that probably is on GitHub, probably uh, available on GitHub. And it means that it's shared with people who you do not know. And those people without interacting with you in any way, without like sending you an email and asking you can download your code, they can use it, they can make changes, they can incorporate it into 
their own commercial product and, and, and make money off of it in that way. Um, so base and they can also contribute back to it so that you can create a community of collaborators that has never met in person, might not know very much about each other, maybe not even like their real names. And, um, yeah, so that's what I would say sort of open source is in, in general. Well, and so I've been doing this for over 20 years and the beginning of my career, uh, Linux was, was kind of in its infancy and was not as, as big of a thing it is today. Today it's like this gold standard for basically everything, right? So you go back 20 plus years ago, you had Unix, you had Microsoft, uh, server, Microsoft windows, all that kind of stuff, but you had to really pay for all that stuff. Almost everything was paid for things like, uh, Microsoft technology stuff was all kind of a closed ecosystem. It was not open source, right? Now you fast forward to today, 2023, almost everything to do with software development is open source. Like Linux is the primary, you know, uh, server technology that's used to host all software. It's all open source, right? All the programming languages are, are for the most part, open source, including Microsoft stuff now, like the .NET framework, all of that. You know, Java, PHP, Ruby, C++, Node.js, JavaScript, all that kind of, it's all open source. It's all out there, right? So almost everything we do, even if we're building like paid commercialized software, is building on top of open source, right? But the there are also companies that build open source software, like an open source CRM system or e-commerce system or other things like that, that then they commercialize, Right or um, people people work together. So what are some examples of open source software products like that that, that maybe people would know? Uh, maybe not necessarily so, you maybe not necessarily ones that you've even worked with, but like like somebody who's listening to this that doesn't know much about tech, is there a good example of like, oh yeah, like Magento or something like that that, yeah, that people Word, might know? WordPress. WordPress is probably WordPress. the one that I that I uh, that almost everybody is gonna have heard of. Um, is it open WordPress. source top to bottom? The whole thing? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, it's a like hosting is monetized. The 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 company behind WordPress is called Automatic. Um, they so the, it's primarily it's they're I think they're worth like twenty six billion. Yeah, I think it's twenty six billion. I could be wrong about the exact number. It's huge. Um, but yes, WordPress is uh, is an open source project. You can and there's that's part of why there's you know a huge ecosystem around WordPress. But yes, you can contribute to WordPress, become a WordPress com- contributor, build extensions to WordPress. Um, so, so yeah, WordPress is a very, a very good example. Uh, a lot of people have also heard of Red Hat, which was acquired by Intel. But Red Hat is is a, a very famous, um, also open source company. Um, partially, one of the reasons that they're very famous is because they. Um, their business model is a little bit different from from what what would be what sort of a standard what's called open core model. Uh, before I get into business models, though, I actually want to take a step back uh, because oh, when you first said like helping software developers monetize open source projects, that actually made me think of something else. So to clarify, there's a lot of ways a lot of ways you can talk about monetizing open source softwares. One of them is an individual maintains an open source project and then starts essentially a consulting business around that mm-hmm. open source project. Total, like 
that would fit the definition of monetizing an open source project. It's not what I do. That's not my specialty. I work with like companies that are, that are building a a big business. Usually the companies I work with are venture funded. Um, But that said, even for that, like the companies that do eventually become larger, sometimes the first step is just like the one single maintainer who's like, all right, how do I make this my full-time job? Well, and WordPress was a great example of this, right? It's like, okay, we built a, a content management system, but then building all the ecosystem around it, the hosting, the consulting, all those kinds of things are the things that you primarily help somebody do, right? It's how do you build all these other services and business models around it where there might be like a free open source version, but then there's like enterprise, like paid versions or or all those mm-hmm. cor- sort of things. And that's kind of the business model side of it, as you alluded yeah. to, right? Yep. So what I help companies with is figuring out how to position their open source project, how to take it to market, how to figure out what is going to be a good, um, the the correct monetization strategy. Um, my My sort of sweet spot actually is in positioning for, I would say, moderately mature open source companies. By mature, I just mean that they have a commercial product. So there's always this continuum where you have, you know, an open source company just has an open source project and they have a lot of venture money, but they don't have any revenue. They don't have any way to get paid. And then um, those companies, I'll help them figure out, well, how do we get more people interested in this open source project? And based on who that market is, how could we, what's the best way to monetize? Uh, But then also once you have that commercial product how do you position the product the company the the project so it all makes sense but also you're not like cannibalizing too much one from the other so do you do you have previous customers that you've worked with that you could talk about like in in more specifics i do not are we all under nda yeah yeah we're i'm it's pretty sensitive what i do so i don't want to talk about specifics too much um, I can talk about in, in generalities, though. Okay. So I guess one one question I have for you is, how in the hell did you get into this specialty? Like, there's got to be like three people on the planet that do what you do. Like, how did, how did you get into this? That's a really good question. Um, because I am not a developer. I started out as a journalist. <laughs> um, I started out in tech journalism. That's kind of where this started. And then um, from there, I started doing a lot of marketing communications work um, with tech companies. And a lot of the work that I do now is like upstream of marketing communications. So the, the marketing communications people will feel the pain if you haven't figured it out. And so that's what was happening to me is I would work with companies and I was like, so what should we be talking about? And they were like, meh, I, I don't know. And, or you know, I'd be, I worked a lot in the the cloud native ecosystem and every company was saying the same thing. They were all describing their product almost identically. Um, and it sort of realized that a lot of these companies had a, a bigger problem. They needed help figuring out how to position themselves, how to differentiate what, what it was that they were we're building from from everything else in the in the ecosystem, and so that that's how I got started. Um, but now I focus more on open source companies. The reason is because they're more complicated. They have 
it's much more complicated to figure out how to talk about your product and your project when you have two or you have three uh, commercial products or sorry, you have two, one or two commercial products, plus you have a project, plus you have uh, some sort of community, plus you have to have some sort of narrative around your entire company. That uh, is just, it's much more complex than if you have a, a straightforward, here's our one commercial product. So do you, so when you're helping them, is a big part of that still like all of their marketing and communication? Or are you more like today doing more like the strategy work? So today what I do is more strategy. So it's positioning strategy, which is it touches your monetization strategy, your product roadmap, your sales strategy, and your marketing strategy. So do you, so if somebody is listening to the podcast today and they're like, you know what, I've built this thing, think about just making it all open source and then trying to commercialize it that way, what would you tell them? Would you tell them <laughs> you don't know what you're in for and you may not want to do this? Or would you like, hey, this is a great idea and I know exactly what to do? Like, what Would there be a fair bit of warning before they jumped into this? Yeah. So this is a really interesting conversation that happens in, in the world of, of open source entrepreneurship. Because one thing that, that can happen is people create an open source business because they just like open source and they think open source yeah. is the best. They're or just developers they, that don't know how to yeah, run a they're freaking just a developer. business. Yeah. And, but they're like money, like, yeah, I don't care about revenue. And I guess that's fine, you know, if you don't need money, but um, if you've like taken venture funding or something, or like you, you have to pay rent um, at some point you, you may actually need to take people's money. Uh, but the point is you shouldn't start an open source business because you love open source or because you think open source is like the ethical way to develop software. Instead, you should start open source because you have, you should start an open source company because you have a clear idea of how having that open source project is going to contribute to your business's success. And it's not the same. It's not like a one size fits all. Um, some people see their open source project as being almost a development model. It's a way to get feedback. Um, it's and a to way me, that to that sounds sort of... more like Microsoft at the, at this, at this point, right? It's like they have the .NET framework and C sharp, their programming languages, all that stuff. It's sort of like they, it, they're just developing it for transparency, people can contribute, all that kind of stuff. But they're not necessarily really trying to monetize it, probably, right? And then on the other side, you've got companies like Elasticsearch or MongoDB or Redis or all these other things that they're trying to monetize that on top of it by that, how they host it or they do all these other things. Does that make sense? Is that a fair statement? Yeah. So incidentally, Elasticsearch and Mongo are two of the companies that did, uh, they changed their licenses to be less permissive, to be more copy left, causing a bunch of, uh, a fair amount of controversy. Yeah. They, they did that because they were struggling to make enough revenue with their previous model. And then AWS, AWS forked their code and said, screw you. Yes. Uh, I mean, fearing f that... Open source companies worry a lot about AWS fucking them over. So um, yeah, yeah, that's that that's a real worry. I, I think it's probably um, it depends. Forking I mean, it can't happen. Forking them over, exactly. 
Yeah. <laughs> but um, it so but your, for but, what? But your point, okay. like you have people that are doing open source for their like, oh, we just do open source because we want people to contribute, right? That's not really their business model. It's just like we just want people to contribute. So usually, uh, doing open source because you want people to contribute is not a good strategy because it's actually hard to get people to they contribute. Don't. Like certainly doing open source because you want like free labor of people contributing. That's, that's a losing strategy. Um, I tried that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wh- whether you're an open source startup or you're like a, you know, a, a big business who has an open source project and you're hoping that you're going to get a bunch of outside contributors. Um, unless you have the way that sometimes works is you have like big business, A, B, and C, and they are all competitors, but there's something like an example might be like some security framework, some security software that they all they all want to work on together. That would be a situation where like, yes, it makes sense for these all these competitors to to build this software together, make it open source. But generally, uh, yeah, you're not going to get the free labor, but you might get feedback from people, which can be really valuable. Um some people think of their open source project as like lead gen. Uh, I do not think that's an excellent way to think of your open source project, but it's definitely uh, definitely a mentality out there. Um, and the key is, you know, you have to know what it what you're getting out of your open source project. Um, let's see. A- another good reason to have an open source project as a company is you expect that your technology is going to become the de facto standard. So you, you really want in the short term to have, you know, every single person, every single developer in whatever niche you're in using your technology. If that's your play, then yes, uh, having open source is, is probably a good idea. See, I tried using it at Stackify for like, we had like logging libraries. So software developers could report their logs and stuff. And it was all open source because they had to reference it in their code and, and everything. And sometimes people would come to us like, this doesn't work. And we we're like, oh, it's on GitHub. You can go debug it. And they were like, they don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, to some degree, like an open, if you're doing open source, you can tell people like, well, you can go unfuck your own code. Go figure it out. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah. they don't really like they don't really like that either. They they ex- they still expect you to fix all their shit for them, or at least to engage in it. And and this is actually like open source is a huge investment of time and and money, right, for the business. And you have to be pretty sure you're going to get something out of it if you're going to go that route. And we so at my last company too, we used um, a project called Electron which is super popular. Most people don't know what it is, but like Slack on the desktop used Electron. Visual Studio Code uses Electron. Like there's a lot of things that use Electron that basically enables you to run like a web app on your mm-hmm. desktop, okay? And my company was trying to use something called, I think it was called Electron or whatever. It was like a .NET, it was like a Microsoft.NET wrapper around Electron. And funny enough, uh, Microsoft Teams uses the same, same exact thing. Microsoft Teams is built on this. Anyways, we, we found problems in it. Um, and my team debugged all of it, found all the problems, and submitted a pull request back to the maintainer. And because we were so invested in it, we were invested in trying to fix it because we were trying to build on top of it, right? So 
you know, sometimes you do get contributors like us that was like, we need to make this thing work, but we invested a shitload of time in trying to use it, troubleshoot it, debug it. I mean, it was a time suck for us too, but there are contributors to these things. Um, and that's where I've done it in the past. It's like, uh, I did it before with like, um, some kind of percentile calculation plugin for Postgres and I found a bug in it and I was able to go through the code because it was open source and then tell, I didn't actually fix the code in that case. I didn't like submit a pull request, but I was able to go back to them and, and tell them like exactly this is the problem because I could see the code. And mm -hmm. so, you know, there are definitely benefits to all this, but to your point about like finding free labor, it's hard to get people to do that. They, most people would just like, screw this thing. I'm going to use something else. And actually, if you are getting people who are like submitting pull requests or are submitting honestly, even if they're just interacting and giving you feedback at all, that's a really good sign that people care about this project yeah. and that there's something special about it. So yeah, that, that is like a, it's, it's a metric that you want to look for and see like, are people using this project, even though there's something that, that doesn't work, even though there's stuff that doesn't work, are they willing to live with it anyway? And, and take that time to, um, to fix it. I mean, another thing that, that I think about in, in terms of, you know, go to market for an open source project, I think another misconception people has is, is that, uh, you know, open source is free. It's free, right? You don't have to pay money for it, but often it requires an investment of time and people don't really appreciate that. If you're asking for people's time, you really have to provide them value in return. So if your project is doing that, that's a, a that's a sign that people, you know, it, it does, it does provide value. Right. Yep. I do want to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably, use the fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what developers are available today to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. So going going back to the business model side of this. Okay. Uh, so we talked about contributors and, and how that kind of plays into open source. I've been a contributor. I've tried to get contributors like on that side of it. So on the other side, how do, how do people usually monetize this? Is it having like a, they have a free version. So you have something like Redis and some of these things like, Oh, it's free. But if you want like these features, clustering security, these enterprise features, which usually everybody needs, and then they want to pay, then you have to pay for those. Or it's like hosting. It's like, oh, there's a hosted version of Elasticsearch or whatever, and they charge like a fortune for it. Like what what other kind of business models do you, you see that way? So, yeah. So you you hit on the, the two sort of primary ones. Um, and often those are grouped on, and they're called open core. You have some sort of core that's open. And then you have um, the... You have an enterprise edition. It's so funny because like the the names are all the same. It just it feels like total buzzwords. But um, anyway, uh, so then you have an enterprise edition, and then you have a cloud hosted edition, and you you charge money for the enterprise edition and the cloud hosted edition. Um, I just want to point out one of the challenges that a lot of open source companies have is that the market for those two products is different. I think that's one of the misconceptions. Like the the type of company that is going to pay you know swipe their credit card and pay nine dollars a month for like per person is different from the customer who needs a bunch of enterprise features and wants to run it themselves in their own data center those are different customers um but uh 
that's open core, totally valid. Pro- probably one of the it's it's the most profitable uh, or considered the most profitable of the the um, open source models because it gets you closest to sort of like a, a traditional software company to, uh, type of situation. Um, another one is services, and you know services generally is less profitable. But, uh, you know, you'll get more bootstrapped companies that are services based companies that they're also, you know, if we want to talk about open source purists, a lot of the companies that are run by people who you might call like real, real open source purists are going to be service based because they don't want to have any enterprise only and any paid features. They don't want to be in the business of selling software. Uh, they think the software should be free. Um, so Percona is, is, a example of that that's been pretty successful. Um, to a certain extent, Red Hat was a, an example of a services company, um, although Red Hat also did a lot of packaging. So they would bundle together, or does, I shouldn't say did, um, they bundled together open source projects. And, you know, the services were around like keeping them updated, fixing bugs within like a certain amount of time. So you as the, as the consumer didn't have to worry about those things. Um, yeah. And then there's also the, the business model that we can debate about whether or not it's an open source model or not, which is multi-licensing is what it's called. That's what Mongo and Elasticsearch do now where it's open source. You can look at it as long as you're not using it as part of your commercial product, in which case you need to fork over some money. Well, and that's the biggest challenge that the, the, these companies have, like you mentioned with Amazon web services, took Elasticsearch and forked it and said, Hey, you guys built a great product. Probably not even sure you really need to improve it anymore. So we're just going to take a copy of it and uh, just keep selling it. And we'll slowly make changes and copy your changes you make. Right. Like, yep. And that's the challenge of open source too, is people can do that. Um, And even if you put the licensing in there that says you can't do it, that doesn't mean that you can stop them. Or even though they're doing it, right? Like they would know Amazon Web Services is doing it. But like if I just download and fork the repo and like run it on my little server in my closet, they sure as hell aren't going to know. No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, that's only one of the challenges. But certainly, I think the way that a lot of open source companies try to get around that is uh, using their community as a moat. So and also thinking about ways in which they deliver value that you can fundamentally not get if you're using an AWS service. So one of the things that a lot of open source companies will talk about is like avoiding vendor lock-in. And um, if that is something that you care about, then you just fundamentally can't go use the AWS service. It's just not, it's not going to be really competitive to the thing that that allows you to be independent of AWS. Um, but there's also the idea of, of using your community as, as a moat. So if you really invest in building a community of people that are invested in your project and your company, um, those people are not going to get the same. They're, they're not going to move over to AWS. Um, and the other part is that it is possible that, you know, AWS rips you off. You lose a couple customers. If you've built a strong enough community, you can afford to to lose some people, and you just have to say, you know, those people who who don't care 
about this community or who don't care about not being locked into AWS or whatever. Like they're just not our customer. But I, I think the biggest use cases of open source, like potentially for our listeners are going to be things more like content management systems or e-commerce systems and all these kinds of things that get built. And most of the time they're providing a lot of professional services around them, right? Like that's their primary business model is like, okay, you use Magento or Orchard CMS or whatever it is. They build something like that, Uh, but then they charge people a whole bunch of money to customize it and build it and do whatever they want to do. Is that, is that predominantly what you see from the the people you work Uh, with is that model? No, because I predominantly work with, well, I mostly work with venture funded companies and I think there's, um, there's a lot lower scaling possibilities with that model. Got so it. any sort okay. of sort, I like, I, I actually don't work with any companies that, so services model, totally valid model, totally. You can build a profitable company. It's probably not going to get like venture funding because it doesn't have that same scale possibility that a lot of VCs are looking for. Um, but yeah, it's not that it's not a valid business. Totally is. So the ones that have scale, are they almost all like software development, like infrastructure related stuff? Or are there examples of like other categories that also I have mean, we, that kind of scale? We talked about WordPress. WordPress. Um, yeah. Drupal, which is a WordPress competitor, not as big as WordPress, but uh, the company behind that's called Acquia. Um, they're also pretty big. And uh, yeah, so there's there's definitely other, other companies. Um, Odoo, which is a Belgian company that does also some like CRM um, and like business suite. They're also an open source company um, that's not in the developer infrastructure space either. So yeah, there's, and and they're a big company. I don't remember exactly their valuation, not as big as WordPress, but big. Um, yeah, there, you can definitely build companies that are not, you know, Terraform scripts. Okay. It doesn't have to be so HashiCore. Yeah, a lot of open source stuff is all like usually developer, you know, they're like developer tools, infrastructure, all that kind of stuff. But there definitely have to be industry, not probably industry specific things, but I think like the content management system, CRM, a lot of stuff like that that's cross industry. And um, there's there's got to be a lot of them out there, but people just don't know they exist. I think they get a lot less attention because they're not as exciting to, it's like the, the open source ecosystem, the open source sort of business ecosystem is sort of an echo chamber and it's made up mostly of, of software engineers. And so they end up talking a lot about other like engineering tools. Um, but I know you were, you wrote a blog post or LinkedIn post about boring companies and yeah. I think this is also true in the in yes. the open source space that there's a lot of like really boring open source projects that are like, you know, here's an open source project to, uh, you know, make it easier to integrate with supply like shipping providers or something like that. Super boring stuff, um, but a, amazing potential. So what other advice would you have for somebody that's that's listening today that would be like, hey, I'm, th- you know, should I start and, you know, should I leverage open source for my business model? Like what other kind of tips do you have for that? Um, so 
Here's a couple of tips like, I'll start with. So or, first or, of all, or, oh, okay, go ahead. I, I was going to say, or or maybe like what you know, what kind of product you know, or you know, type of product or service they offer that would even be a good candidate for it, or, or whatever. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, n- know why you want to have an open source project as as part of your business. Um, I, I didn't mention this, but a, a lot of times what happens, the way that an open source business comes about is it starts as a project and then it sort of snowballs, it becomes more and more popular, and then the person decides to, to create the business. So that's a different path than thinking, okay, I'm going to ca- create a business. Am I going to have an open source project as part of this or not? Um, so, you know, what is what does it contribute to the business? Are you working in an industry where it's considered table stakes? I think this is the reason that you see so many like developer tools companies that are that are open source is because everyone just expects that they are going to be, and if they aren't, it's like a challenge to them. So like nobody's going to pay for it. Yeah, Anyways. no, like they're not going to get any adoption if they they don't have the open source or they'll just be like dismissed outright. So if you're op- operating in an, in a niche where that's the case, well, then take that into account. Maybe you have you don't really have a choice. Um be clear like be clear on who you're marketing to. I I talk to a lot of people who are like our market is developers. And, uh, even, you know, if you do have a developer tool and that's, that is your market, that's not specific enough. There's a lot of developers that do a lot of different stuff. Be really clear on what exactly, what, what problem exactly you're solving. Um, another thing is open source adoption does not necessarily translate into revenue. There's a lot of really cool open source projects that are never going to be monetizable. If you have like a really cool open source project that like makes the text rainbow or something like that, this is not a good candidate for monetization. Doesn't it does not matter how many downloads you have. Um, so think about that. Like, is this software going to be in the critical path? Is it solving a really expensive problem for for people in general? Another thing is just remember that not everybody cares about open source. So when you actually start thinking about selling your your product, you might have to de-emphasize the open source component because well, maybe people who are adopting who are just who are developers, uh they might care about open source because they want to just like fiddle around with it. But once you're talking about people who have like a a revenue producing application that's running in production and like this your project is you know allowing them to process credit cards or something like that they do not give a damn whether it's open source or not they need it to work and they will pay you money but the fact that it works and it works reliably is the thing that's going to matter a lot more than the fact that there's an open source project out there um, so basically, don't overestimate how important being open source is, especially as you start actually selling your product. Yeah, it's like if you go to buy WordPress, it's like, I don't really care if it's open source. I just want to host my website. So by telling me it's open source might just add a lot of confusion. It's like, okay, what does yeah. that mean? Yeah. In fact, that brings up the other thing, which is that um, the connotations around open source are not universally positive. So that's another thing to be careful of when you 
talk about building an open source business and like really put the emphasis on this is open source. Um, it could, to some people, it means it's like, it's transparent. It, some people think open source is more secure. Um, what are some Sounds like work to me. Yes. So then the flip side of (laughs) that is they're like, oh, open source is like the place where I can't get anybody to, to answer my questions. When, when I ask them, you know, when I tell them about a bug, they tell me to go to hell. Um, it's like, it's free. Some, you know, sometimes people think free is good. Other times people think like free means that it's shit. And, uh, you know, so that's also why I tell people like, don't talk too much about the fact that your thing is free. Cause like that does, means it doesn't have any value. Yeah. It's, it's like if, if somebody come to me and said, Hey Matt, we should use, uh, whatever open source CRM system, I immediately think, Oh, it's gotta be a piece of shit. And I'm gonna have to spend a bunch of time customizing the damn thing. I don't want to deal with this. That's yeah, the first thing exactly. that pops in my head. Yeah. And, and you are not the only person who, who would have that immediate reaction. So be aware of that. If, if you're building an open source company that, um, you know, maybe you don't want to lead with, with open source or you want to lead with whatever people get out of it being open source, not just open source in and of itself. But it, it could also be really valuable, right? Cause so for example, you could use Shopify for e-commerce, but at some point in time, you're like, Oh, I want to do something special or different or whatever. And then you go look at open source, open source e-commerce systems. There's a bunch of them. There's Simple Commerce. <laughs> there's uh, Magento. There's all these different things. And going into those, you know, you're going to have to customize them. You're going to have to do some work, right? You hire some developers, and they 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 take, and like ninety percent of it is going to work out of the box. But you're going to have to customize it to do all whatever you want to do, or or like systems integration kind of work to configure it. But that's also the value in it. It's like I can now I can customize it to do whatever these things are. This weird wild stuff that Shopify wouldn't do but that, that's also the advantage that's also the power in it but if you're like I just want the simple thing like you probably want Shopify <laughs> you don't want the open source thing yeah and that's also it's important to note like those open source e-commerce projects are not really directly competitive with Shopify because the type of person who wants that wants to just use Shopify is probably not a super great fit for that open source project um because you would use that open source because you like precisely because you need the customization, but you're not, you know, you don't have like 10,000 employees. You don't, you don't want to build it from scratch yourself. Or you don't want to pay Shopify a bunch of money anymore because you're doing millions of dollars a month in transactions or something like you just outgrow it that way too. Also that. Yep. Exactly. Well, um, Tell us a little more about your podcast. I failed to mention that earlier. You have your own great podcast about open source. Yeah. So uh, my podcast is about building open source businesses. I have mostly founders, but also other people in the industry. So people like me who are consultants who work with open source companies, people who work in sales and marketing and product um, investors in open source companies um, to talk about like what are the challenges and opportunities in in building open source companies and how is it different? I mean, the thing that always interests me is like, you know, what do you get uh, in building an open source company or what, what information do you need in building an open source company that you wouldn't get from like a standard startup book? It's definitely a niche, right? And so you're an expert in this and, if somebody's interested, I'd definitely have them listen to your podcast and talk to you for sure. 
definitely. Don't talk to me. I don't know shit about it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, one of the other things I think is really interesting is if you have an open source company, especially a venture funded one, there's all these metrics that you want to look at to see, like, are, are you being successful? They have to do about community growth, like community engagement, um, all these things. And in fact, it's not necessarily going to be the same metrics for every company. If you have just like a regular software company, you're going to be like, all right, um, what's my revenue number? Am I profitable? And that's a little bit simplistic, but it is a lot more, a lot simpler than once you're looking at an open source company and there's there's all these other variables. Certainly when you're looking at the success of an open source project, that's where it's like completely different. You know, there's no revenue number. There's no profit number to say like, yes, this was a success or no. Yeah, the bench, the, the KPIs are different. Yeah, exactly. They're very different. Well, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, FullScale can help. We have a platform. We have the platform and the people to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with our fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers. At FullScale, we specialize in building a long-term team that only works for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. Well, this has been an awesome conversation today. And as we wrap up the show, do you have any other final tips for budding open source entrepreneurs out there. I'm putting you on the spot. Final tips. Um, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to lean back on the thing that I really specialize in, which is positioning and messaging. Uh, be more specific about what you do. The, one of the biggest uh, mistakes I see with a lot of founders make a lot of maintainers. So this, this also applies if you just have an open source project and, and you don't care about monetization, um, be specific about what it does. And if you're like writing a readme, for example, be very specific about, you know, what does this do? Why should anybody care about it? Think really critically about how does each feature provide a benefit to somebody who uses it. Um, the example I like to give here is that you'll you'll get a lot of projects that are described as like, this this is a cloud security tool or something like that. And that's like gives almost zero information about what circumstances it's useful in or not. Um, so be as specific as possible. And, um, you know, if people don't understand what your project is about, they're not going to use it. So what you're saying is software developers are terrible at marketing. Uh, <laughs> you know, incidentally, like marketing is such a dirty word. I, I feel like a lot of software developers would, would like proudly agree with that. Um, but uh, yeah, so marketing that's done well benefits everyone and bad marketing and bad communication in the open source ecosystem is is bad for everyone too, including your potential users because they like yeah. they can't understand that your project would help them. They got to be able to self-select in. Exactly. And out. Yes. And out. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Again, this was Emily O'Meara and her website is Emily, E-M-I-L-Y-O-M-I-E-R.com. You can also find her on LinkedIn and her, her podcast, The Business of Open Source. And uh, Emily, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. 
Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.